dear brothers and sisters, for the last 11 years, I have avoided preaching a Father's-themed sermon on Father's Day, and I have felt pretty good about that decision. In general, I don't always think it's a very good idea for holidays that are happening in the world, Hallmark holidays, to sort of invade the church life. Holidays like Valentine's Day, Labor Day, Father's Day, good to celebrate with our families and community, but not necessarily a church holiday. But I've been starting to wonder about that, and perhaps even to change my mind. Partly this is due to some things I've been reading and listening to, but the statistics I've been uh, discovering are unsettling too. I just wanted to share a few, because I think this is important to keep in mind. According to research from the United States and the census done there, nearly one out of every four children in the U.S. currently lives without a father or father, even father figure in the home. And the research shows that this, in these situations, the impact can be quite large. Here's some statistics. Children with absent fathers are four times at a greater risk of living in poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of school. I remember listening to someone reflect on this and share these statistics, and I thought, wow, this is significant. This is serious. I wonder what that means for us as the body of Christ, how we can be a source of stability in a, a world that has a gap. There's not as many fathers as there needs to be. Another reason I've changed my tune on Father's Day is that, well, God reveals himself to be a father, our father. And perhaps this is a good opportunity to be reminded of his fatherly care and his fatherly heart. So here we go. First time in 11 years. Father's Day sermon. Excited. John 20. This is the story of Jesus' resurrection. And yet, uh, what I really want us to focus on here is how Jesus talks to Mary about the relationship that he has with his father and how that now translates out to the disciples. My father and your father. So we'll read John 20, beginning at verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They had taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize yet that it was Jesus. Woman, she said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
she turned she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she said, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Your friends of Jesus Christ, I love the relational terms that Jesus uses in this text. They are dripping with emotion and love. Do not hold on to me, he says to Mary, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. After all that has happened in Jesus' ministry, and especially the last few weeks leading up to his death and his resurrection, the disciples have really not been the best followers. They have not been the best brothers. They all abandoned him. They went home. Jesus went out on his own, carrying the cross without the support of community that he poured three years of his life into. But even though, even though all that has happened, Jesus wants his disciples to know that they belong. And more, that they have been brought into the family life of the Trinity. My Father and your Father. My God and your God. Though they had abandoned him, Jesus is not abandoning them. In fact, he's bringing them closer. He's telling them that because of what he has done through his death and resurrection, because of the forgiveness that is found in Christ, this gap has been closed. A new family has started this family of grace, brothers and sisters under the Father in heaven, children of God. We're accustomed to hearing Jesus talk about his relationship with his Father, but this is the first time in John where Jesus invites his disciples to see themselves as a part of the family. Now to say that God is a father, my father, is not to say that God is male. This is important. God is not simply a bigger, stronger version of my own dad. Our Heavenly Father doesn't have a human body. And yet, the Father, God, invites us to call him that. He invites us in a way to even picture him as playing a fatherly role in our life. This fatherhood analogy is introduced in the Old Testament and is intensified in the New. We read about it in a few different places. Uh, these are just some examples. Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. Isaiah 64, yet you, Lord, are are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And then 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 
Now, when thinking about God as Father, it's important for us to refrain from keeping upon God all our hallmarkified notions of Father, or even the baggage that we might carry when we think about our earthly fathers. To be a father in the ancient world meant a few specific things. First of all, it meant maker, author of another's life. Notice the connection between father and creator in Deuteronomy 32. Is this the way you repay the Lord? Moses is speaking to God's people. Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Fathers are those who have fathered. God is like a father in that he is the author and originator of our lives. Another aspect of fatherhood in the ancient world was the role of overseer or ruler. In the ancient world, every father was, in a big or small way, like a little king. Their role was to preside over the family and serve the well-being of the family. Fathers built houses to protect their families. They worked, they farmed, they hunted to feed their families. They instituted rules to keep the peace in the home and to allow all of the members to flourish. We tend to have a little bit of a, an allergic reaction to authority like this in the modern moment. But really, someone needs to be doing these things. Someone needs to be protecting and serving and instituting rules and saying this is the culture of our home. This is how we do things in our household. We might rebel against this and have a reaction to it, but really we need it. We need that kind of structure especially when we are young. We can see this aspect of God's fatherly presence in the book of Exodus. In the wilderness, God protected and provided for his vulnerable children. He gave them water from the rock, and he gave them manna from heaven. He took them to Mount Sinai, and he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Here are the rules for my household. This is how we are going to live in covenant with one another. and. As I said over and over again in the Old Testament, I have given you these commands so that it may go well with you, so that you may live and thrive in the land that I am giving you. That's another aspect of God's fatherly care. He's giving his children everything they need to live and grow and thrive in community. The Father creates and the Father oversees and serves the well-being of what he has created. And thirdly, fathers in the ancient world were redeemers, meaning that in times of need, in times of crisis, they stepped in to save, to restore, and to bail out their wayward children. If you think about the story of Boaz and Ruth in the Old Testament, this is a good example of redemption or um, someone stepping in as a redeemer. Ruth and Naomi were without hope and without a future, but Boaz stepped in to purchase Elimelech's land and to marry Ruth and to create a future for them. He redeemed, in a way, their lives. The parable of the prodigal son in the New Testament highlights this aspect of the father's role as well. When the lost son comes home, disgraced, the father runs out to meet him, 
And then he covers over uh, the son's shame with, by taking off his own robe and putting it on his son's shoulders. And he takes the ring off his finger, the, the family ring, and puts it on the son's finger, which communicates, you're part of the family. You belong. I am your father. You don't have to work as a slave. You are mine. The father redeems the son. We see this too in the Old Testament with God and the people of God. When Israel is uh, enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh's oppression, God, we read in Exodus 4 that God heard their cries and that he was coming down. He came in the burning bush to call Moses and said, this is going to stop. I'm going to deliver my people from Egypt. So that was when people thought about father in Bible times, in the ancient world. That's what they thought of, father as creator, father as overseer, father as deliverer. And in some ways, there's some overlap between how we see things today. But I thought we'd get that clear from what, what the picture God has in mind when he reveals himself as a father. And if we carry this powerful picture, this analogy, over to us, if God is Father, then what does that make us? It makes us children. Children are created. Children are cared for. Children need protection and provision. Children need someone to step in and save. And what do children owe their father? Well, to their father creator, children owe gratitude and honor. To their father ruler, children owe obedience and trust. And to their father redeemer, children owe loyalty and love. Now, one thing we know from the biblical story and from our own experiences, uh, experience is that children don't always like to be ruled. And governed. We don't have the father's experience or the father's long-term perspective. Why did the father say we can't eat from that tree? What is he withholding from us? In the parable of the prodigal, we get a little glimpse into the human condition of fathers and sons and not wanting to be under another another's authority. The younger son hates living under the father's roof. It's stifling. He wants freedom. And so he makes a demand for his inheritance, which at that time was akin to saying, I wish you were dead. I want what you have. I want my piece of the farm, but I don't want you. I want to take the money and I want to run. And that attitude in a nutshell, I mean, this is an extreme example of it, but that attitude in a nutshell is really the story of the world, and certainly the story of Israel. The Father gives, and He gives, and He gives, and He provides, and He serves. He's got the long-term vision for the family and the children in the meantime. Don't share that. And they're just like, yeah, we just want to do what we want. Back off. Let me live my life. Thank you for this body. Thank you for my life. Thank you, know, but I'm going to do what I want. That's the human condition, in a way. But then how does that go for us? How does it go for the son uh, in the parable of the prodigal son? How do we do when we live life on our own terms 
outside of the Father's house. Well, it's exhilarating at first. Nothing beats that first taste of freedom. The open road with a whack of cash in your pocket. Oh, the things to try, the people to meet, the pleasures to be had. Life without limits is absolutely intoxicating for a little while. But eventually the thrill fades, the hangover, hangover rushes in, and eventually you wake up wishing you could eat the food fed to the pigs. You wish you were even just a servant in your father's house. You start to feel not so free, but a little bit more like a toddler lost in the woods, praying for someone to come and find you. Someone like father. Israel's disobedience eventually landed them in exile. God, in a way, let them go. He let his son go off into the far country, because that's where they wanted to go. God let them go, and he let the nation sweep in as an instrument of his discipline. But even in discipline, the Father Redeemer doesn't give up. He never takes, never, never, he's always wishing to bless and to restore. Hear these words in Isaiah 54 for a little window into the Father heart of God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. While we can see the different aspects of God, God's fatherly character throughout the Bible, nowhere is it seen more clearly than when he sends his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world, we read in John, that he sent his only son. For God so loved the family that he had created, that he came to them, entered into our world to rescue and redeem. In the incarnation, in God becoming human, to come among us, we see in Christ Jesus the Father entering the fray, entering into danger in order to rescue us and restore us. Whenever I think of the Father Redeemer or God entering the fray, I, I have a memory of my own father uh, that comes to mind. Long ago, my my dad used to go hunting every fall um, at a hunt camp, uh, French River area, south of Lake Nipissing, somewhere in Crown Land out there. And um, he would go by himself, or he'd go with other people in the fall. But in the spring, the camp was open, and he liked to take us, our family. So we'd head out there, uh, and there'd still be snow. It'd, it'd be during the, the spring melt. Uh, we'd go out to this, this hunt camp. No electricity, pretty far from roads. You had, you know, you had to walk like an hour and a half through the bush to, to get to this camp. It was amazing. I loved it every minute of it as a kid. And in front of this camp, there was a stream. Uh, in the late summer, it was probably a stream, but in the spring, it was basically a river. And pretty deep, um, pretty wide. There was a large bridge that, uh, like a makeshift bridge that across the river, and uh, at that time of the year, usually there were big ice, little icebergs floating through, and my siblings and I 
uh, thought it would be fun to see how long we could stick our feet in the water, like to see who could last the longest, basically. Ice cold, freezing creek water. And um, one of the days we were doing that, my, my brother Josh fell in. And he's wearing all his you know, rain gear and clothes. He managed to grab onto the, um, the ridge, but the current is strong. And it's just, you can see him start to go like this. And so my sister and I each grab an arm. We're probably maybe seven. My sister's probably nine or ten. We, my brother's maybe four or five. Probably shouldn't be playing on good for himself. But anyway, we each grab an arm and then we both start yelling as loud as we can. Dad! Dad! Just yelling. And I looked out towards the camp and I just see him shoot out of the house. He knows what's happening. Just runs full speed, no shoes. I'm just, I have this like slow motion picture of like him splashing into puddles and just seeing water spray everywhere. Full tilt, pops up onto the bridge, reaches down, and with like the superhuman dad strength, right, just right onto the bridge. And he picked them up and carried them right back into the house. That's a picture of Father Redeemer. For God so loved the world, he enters in with a rocket to deliver, to save, There's a reason the gospel of Jesus is sometimes called the passion. As we see in Jesus' face the determination of the Father Redeemer, the rescuer, he's here to do what it takes to give his children rest. He's here to do what it takes to release his children from the snares of sin, from the dangers of death, and if he has to take the punishment that they are due on himself, he is ready and willing to do that, even if that means death on the cross. The Father Redeemer. And here's the good news this morning. There is a Father who loves you more than you can know, and it is his deep desire that you would experience the fullness of life in his family through Christ his Son, and so come to share in the blessings and hope of life in his house. The Church of God is the family of God. We are the rescued ones, the redeemed, brothers and sisters with Christ, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. He feeds us. He protects us, he leads us, and teaches us his good ways. Here we learn how to be children. Here we learn how to show gratitude to our Father, be obedient to him, to trust him, to learn the hard road of trust, to know that his perspective and view is better than ours, and his long-term vision 
is better than ours, hard as that is for us to understand sometimes. And the good news of the gospel is that this father can be your father, this family your family, all through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking today that this is especially good news for those of us who have had less than ideal, or maybe plain bad, earthly fathers. Some of you have been abandoned emotionally or physically or perhaps abused. Or maybe your father didn't fight for you or pursue you in the way that you wanted him to. And all these things hurt. All these things leave their marks on us, and we walk through life often with Lots of wounds that we carry from perhaps love and attention that we didn't get. Some, in wanting to be sensitive to those who have had bad fathers, want the church to refrain from talking about God as Father, but I don't think that's the solution. I think the solution might be to actually have a healing encounter with the Heavenly Father and to know how much He loves you and cherishes you. In fact, it might just be the case that one of the ways we can forgive our earthly fathers and find healing is in a deep relationship with our Heavenly Father. For in His family, we are fathered anew. And we're taught by Him how to live in forgiveness. And He holds the space for us and gives us a secure place where we can work through our own issues with mom or dad or... Um, and offer forgiveness so that we can move on. And I think this is also good news for us earthly fathers who perhaps feel like we've done a bad job, or are doing a bad job, or have dropped the ball in some way that, you know, has hurt our children. To know that we're not perfect, but there is a father who can care for them and love our children better than we can. That's good news, and in the end, all of us have to learn to hand our children over, in a sense anyway, into his fatherly care. And there is also a call in this, I think, for men in the family of God. None of us are perfect, and we can't be the father that God is, but we can and should strive to reflect as best as we can God's fatherly care in our families and our community. This is true for those who have biological or adopted children, and it's true for those who don't have biological or adopted children. It's true for married men and single men. You don't have to actually have children to be a father figure and play a fatherly role in people's lives. And I know this happens in all kinds of informal ways, but I, I, mean, I think I want to mention just the cadet program right now is a really good example of that. Think of Jack and Tim and Months and Mike and Mike stepping in in a way into these fatherly roles to be a father figure in some cases for people who don't have present fathers in their lives. These small things can help. And it's perhaps one of the ways we can be a real blessing in our community by showing up, by being present, by seeking to live into these roles in other people's lives. 
the boys in our community need us. I have a new friend named John that I've gotten to know a little bit through an online community that I'm participating in at the moment. And uh, John shared a bit of his story. Uh, he had a difficult relationship with his father. And he was at a retreat one time working through this in the midst of feeling hurt and all the angst that goes uh, with, with these feelings. And in the midst of that, God gave him a vision. One by one, the faces of different people just came to him, faces of different men who in formal or informal ways mentored him or encouraged him or prayed for him or gave him what he needed in a critical moment of his life. And what he realized in that moment is what, while he didn't get the father he wanted, God did give him the father figures that he needed. And that helped him move forward in forgiveness. And I simply want to conclude our sermon this morning. Did you know that Christ's Father is our Father? The same relationship, the same relationship of love and blessing that God the Father has with Jesus, we now share together in Him. That intimacy, that intimacy is a real thing that we can enter into at any time in prayer, to remember the Father's deep love, to remember that we are made by him fearfully and wonderfully, that he oversees our life and provides for us in ways we don't even know, and also that he loves us so much that he's ready to come in to rescue, to redeem whenever necessary. He is seeking our wholeness and joy. Let him lead you. Let him show you. Let him love you. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, It is a joy to know you and to be invited in deep, intimate relationship with you in Christ. We ask, Lord, um, simply for the gift of being able to delight in that right now and today. And where there are hurts or regrets or wounds, or unresolved issues that continue to plague us. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray, Father, that you would continue to work on us and shape us. We know that you, we are your masterpieces, the work of your hand in Christ. And we ask too, Lord, for the strength we need to reflect you in the world to father one another, to step in, to fight for and protect, to guide, to be a mentor. And I pray for the men of our congregation too, as we seek to reflect this in our own lives, 
families work community church strengthen us lord and fill us with wisdom and passion for this call that we have received we pray this in jesus name